When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abual Salmon from Navigant Research. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. Yeah, I forgot to say where I'm from, but everybody knows where to find me. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, thank you guys for covering while I was out. It seems like you guys did a podcast and you were on like you were on NPR and stuff and like everywhere. I kind of feel like I slacked. Which, <laughs> I, I mean, I well, we're used to that from you. Yeah, that's true. I was half. I was but, on vacation. But you, but, but you did you did assemble the audio for the last podcast, so that's you, know, you did you did contribute. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was just behind the scenes contributor. Yeah, and you can make up for it because we're basically not going to say anything for the next ninety minutes. So, do you really want to listen to me <laughs> talk for you. ninety minutes? Nobody <laughs> wants to hear me talk. Uh, all right. Well, we've got we've got some some cool stuff to actually talk about. You guys both went to the FCA. What's new? um event so you can you can talk about that um there's some some cyber hacking that went on with uh tesla model 3 and model s some some testing there and then uh, you know started off with what we're driving so uh rebecca you last week i think had the um lexus rc 350 f sport all-wheel drive and I you did you talked about the infotainment but not about anything else or very lightly about everything else. <laughs> exactly. so how so, is it besides the infotainment, which I'm pretty sure you didn't like? <laughs> so this is, uh, you know, it's such a beautiful vehicle. The one that I had was this atomic silver that is just this gorgeous kind of champagne color that really attracts attention. I mean, a number of people came over and wanted to know what the vehicle was. And it's just, it's a beautiful vehicle. It's a, it has these gorgeous lines. And I'm not always a fan of really kind of overly expressive design, but I really liked the look of this vehicle and the interior was absolutely beautiful. So there were things that I really, really liked about it from a style standpoint. And actually it was an incredibly fun vehicle to drive. It had great power. The particular one that I had has a, a 3.5 liter V6 engine. It had um, 311 horsepower, a six-speed automatic transmission, these fun paddle shifters. They said it has um, all-wheel drive. And it was just, it was really dynamic. I mean, it was it had great power, fun to kind of zip around in, great in the twisties, you know, kind of everything that you want in a sport coupe. And so that's what kind of made it frustrating then for me to not even be able to do something as remedial as pair my phone. And that was really annoying. 
Maybe um, it's a new driver safety feature where they're just going to annoy the crap out of you. So you just, just don't use that stuff. Right? But actually, no, that's bad because right, it puts you back into using the phone handheld if, it, if you're determined to use it. Well, so what, what actually ended up happening, One of the, I think one of the things that I was so annoyed about was just that I, and I think I said this last time, was, it, you know, it was late. It was after a long flight. I had to talk to my brother about a family matter and I needed to drive at the same time because I had to get to that family matter and and it sort of was a, was you know a perfect storm of really needing my phone to work and not fight with my car and so it was frustrating from that standpoint i i continue to be perplexed and amazed that they don't have android auto and so you know it'd be on the toyota avalon i think so that's something that i just i think that toyota and lexus really need to get on as we talked about before but overall you know there's a lot of really good things about this vehicle once i got i kind of got past that the infotainment part of it and started to really enjoy driving it I, I did enjoy driving it. It's it's much more, uh, it was much more athletic and had a better feel and a better dynamic uh, performance than I have had with other Lexus. I think they kind of went through a soft phase where they just didn't, they were almost, uh, you know, they were kind of doing this really puffy kind of soft oh we don't want to feel anything mindset and i think yeah, I, that, that's, that was that. always the criticism right from right. when they were introduced was that they're 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 nice and they're cushy but they really don't want to hustle right they, and you know, behave like a german so i think that they've I think they've dialed that back enough so that now you can get the kind of responsiveness that you want from their from this vehicle. And certainly, you know, as I said, it's the sporty look to it. I think the driving dynamics and the personality started to come out more. Um, and, and eventually we became friends. I there was a there was a couple of annoyances that I didn't understand beyond the infotainment system. The the indicators, I think I'm so used to a three a, a, a three tap indicator, you know, like you tap it and it blinks three times, you move over and then it automatically shuts off. These seem to have stayed on and I was constantly having to fool with the indicators, which is a, is distracting, quite frankly, you know, making sure that I have the indicators off. So I think there were just a few things that I haven't had to I haven't had a negative experience in other vehicles recently that I had in this, um, which was a little, you know, again, just a little annoying. And and as I said, you know, we, we eventually became friends. We're not BFFs, but uh, I'm I'm <laughs> but I've reconciled myself. One of the things I would love to ask you guys, I I have Amazon Alexa at home and I like Amazon Alexa and She's staring at me right now and blinking. So, Alexa, quit. <laughs> I don't. She's saying, uh, tell her to self destruct. That's okay. I don't <laughs> understand what you're supposed to do with it in the car. Yeah, that was. Um, I test. So, for review.com, they make a little um, Alexa doohickey. I forget what it's called. Um, well, there, uh, but, is that the one, the, the Rove? Um, the one made by Anchor? No, it's um oh darn, I forget what it was. It was it was it's just this little 
darn it. I'm looking for the, the article now. Um, because I, I've, I've reviewed, hang on a second. Um, the Garmin speak. Okay. So, uh, the Garmin speak is, um, Alexa enabled and it had some nice functionality to it, but I was also confused about like, what, what do you, what do you really get out of having Alexa in the car? Yeah. Um, I'd much rather have Android auto. Like, so I, I think that the one thing that you do get from having Alexa in the car is you get a standardized interface, uh, right? So Alexa works the same in the car as it does at the home. So you say Alexa and it perks up and you, you ask it to do the thing. I, I found that it's feature set was a little limited in that instance. And maybe it's gotten better because it's been over a year since that, that I tested that unit. Okay. So maybe it's gotten better. Um, but like when you're at home, right, you can use it to do all those right. home Well, things. that's the thing is that I love her in my house. I mean, she controls my lights and, and music yeah. and TV and reminds me of things. And, you know, there's, there's, a, I mean, I, when I'm like in a hotel room and I say her name, even though there isn't a device there, my, <laughs> because I'm saying, <laughs> saying, you know, Hey, what's the temperature or what's the weather going to be? So I just, I was a little confused by, and, and honestly, I didn't explore like I should have done because I don't even know how to get this thing activated. And I think in part, I, I think you actually have to have, uh, an Alexis N form account set up. Well, and that was the other thing. Your, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you, so you, I guess you link the, your Alexa account to that. Okay. That's another question I have too, is because it's integrated to the car. Um, my assumption would be that it actually can control some functions in the car that the aftermarket unit can't. So don't, once you don't, have it, don't assume such things. Yeah, I, I mean, that's my assumption. <laughs> I, I think, I think the, the only things that can, at least right now, I think the only things that can control in the car is doing things like, uh, if you have, you know, an Amazon music account, you can use it to, you know, to start playback of music, you know, request, you know, tell it to play certain songs or albums oh, yeah, or like, artists, yeah. things like that. So the those sorts of things. You can also, you know, if you if you've set up Alexa skills on your account, you can use, uh, you know, you can use it to um, command things at your house. So, for example, yep. if you've left, you know, if you've got a, a, you know, got something set up for your garage door opener, you can have it. Um, you know, control, you know, you can make sure if you forgot to close the garage door, you can, you know, close the garage door with it or, you know, turn on the lights, you know, you can have, you know, tell it to turn on your exterior lights, uh, things like that. So all, you know, you can control all the stuff in your home from the car, you know, like, so if you're on your way home, you can, you know, turn, turn things off or, you know, if you're leaving, you can, you know, turn things off, um, as needed, um, over time, this is this is an area that's probably going to expand quite a bit because uh, Amazon has a whole um, division, a whole operation set up uh, to work with OEMs. Uh, they've got you know a version of Alexa, you know Alexa Automotive um, that is you know intended to be a, a digital assistant, you know, a, a version of this digital assistant specifically for use in the car that will be more integrated into the 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 features in the vehicle rather than just being like um you know something something you can control stuff outside of the vehicle right yeah i i found that um those things that it does like it it comes at a pretty hefty investment of your time and energy and and actually you've got to fiddle with it to enable those skills and just really the setup is is the real sort of pain 
for it. Yeah, it's it's a commitment for sure. And and I think, you know, one of the things that's disappointing, obviously, in a media car is we don't have the Entune. Uh, we don't have an Entune account. I, this one didn't even have the Sirius XM satellite radio set up. So, you know, I I wasn't able to do as much with the infotainment with some of these features that it comes with. But, you know, so overall, I mean, again, I, I did like I did enjoy the different drive modes. I did like there was definitely a difference between the normal, the Sport S and the Sport S Plus and such. And I obviously didn't get a chance to drive it in snow. But, you know, I just I think that there's things that it has that I don't know if people will necessarily pay for, but you're kind of stuck with it becomes it because it comes with it. So this one had an MSRP of 52,400. It had a couple of, of um, navigation triple beam LED headlamps for $1,160, which seemed excessive, but uh, so all told it was 57,000. It doesn't seem like a terrible deal. Like, Hey, hey Rebecca, yes. have you driven the RCF before? No. Okay, that, that's that's the version with the the five liter V eight from the uh, oh, from the LS. I bet that's fun. Um, well, the the reason I asked is you know I've I've previous I've driven the RCF and I've driven you know the RC three fifty not the F Sport version of it but just the standard RC three fifty about three years ago, and um, I actually preferred the RC three fifty to the RCF. Uh, because the that V8, you know, in the the, the RC the RC is a relatively small coupe, and you know the the V8, you know, is pretty big and and bulky, and I think with the V with the V6 with the three and a half liter V6, it actually feels better balanced than it does mm. with the uh, w- with the uh, the big V8. Even though the big V8 has more power and you know its overall acceleration is better, right. I actually found the 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 350 to be more more fun to drive because it, it feels a little more nimble than the than the RCF, even though its its ultimate limits are lower. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it was it was really fun to drive. As I said, I I, I started to really enjoy it. I. It was, you know, there's there's a lot to be said. As long as you don't touch the touchpad. Exactly. <laughs> Just don't touch the touchpad. Well, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I find it curious. It's like that enjoyable um, when it's only got 311 horsepower. It's not exactly a light car either. So I'm sure performance is good, but it's, it's, it's really it's a personal luxury coupe. Um, it's a Thunderbird. Uh, no, but it was, I mean, it was, you know, for, for the purposes of getting from A to B of a commuter, you know, to, to spice up your commute, right. You're not going to race with this thing, but if you need, you know, if you want something that is luxurious to drive, heated and cold seats, heated steering wheel, you know, all the amenities, um, then I thought it was okay. I mean, you know, I, I, wouldn't necessarily buy one for myself, but it, as I said, we became friends. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's the best and, way to you describe know, to, it. To your, to, you know, to, to your complaints about, you know, the lack of Android auto and, and things like that. Um, you know, Toyota started rolling out a new generation infotainment system last year uh, with their, their Entune 3.0 system, which is a completely re-engineered, re-architected system compared to what they had before. Uh, you know, and the, and the system that's in all the Lexus, Lexi, Lexuses uh, <laughs> right now is is based on the same architecture as their older generation uh, Entune system. 
and you know the new one is is based on um, automotive grade Linux, and and it's a it's a completely different system, uh, completely different software, and they will be adding um, eventually Android Auto to both the Toyotas and as new generations of Lexus vehicles come to market, they're going to have new generation infotainment system that is based on the same architecture as the latest Entune. So hopefully it'll also eliminate the touchpad, but um, at, at the very least the software will be better, should be better. And it'll have um, that it'll have both CarPlay and Android auto uh, built into it uh, in time. So, you know, over the next couple of years. Right. I mean, I think what's what's amazing to me is, you know, we've spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks talking about Kia and Hyundai and how those interfaces are pretty darn sophisticated. And a, mm-hmm. and a brand like Toyota and Lexus have gotten left behind, which is really shocking to me. You know, walking around CES, for instance, uh, you know, with people that are deeply embedded in Microsoft and Apple and such, you know, they, they keep talking to me about how far behind some of the automotive brands are. And I just, I think it's something that as an industry, you know, we really need to, to look at some people are doing it really, really well, but we can't have, we can't keep thinking about infotainment as an afterthought. Right. And and that's why companies like Amazon are, you know, trying to to break into this space and you know work with the manufacturers to embed their stuff right in the vehicles and you know get more get some more sophistication in there. Um, and, and you know, they're we're starting to see some of the fruits of this. You know, especially with uh, you know, I think one of the one of the big advantages to a lot of these systems is they do incorporate cloud connectivity. You know, that's why you're able to get, you know, more natural language style uh, voice processing, you know, in there as opposed to having to remember very, you know, a very limited vocabulary of very specific commands to do things for with voice recognition. You're going to be able to do, you know, much more natural language input um, with systems like Alexa and uh, Google Assistant and maybe even eventually Siri. Um, and, And there's, you know, there's others as well. Um, like the uh, the system from uh, uh, Nuance, uh, you know their their latest system incorporates cloud connectivity as well. Uh, so you know they they will they should be a lot easier to use and have a lot more capability. Yeah, I think part of the reason why automakers have uh, lagged behind, at least in the eyes of um, some of the tech companies, is that. You know, the automotive environment is really hostile and the stuff just has to last. Even just the physical touchscreens have to be of a certain grade that can handle the temperature swings and still provide consistent performance over, you know, X amount of years. Uh, Because the automaker doesn't want to have to call the car back to replace screens every, you know, two years while it's under warranty or whatever. Like that's just not a good experience for anybody. Right. And, and that's, and that's a problem that Tesla has had, you know, with those big 17 inch touchscreens in the model S and the model X. You don't say, <laughs> there, you know, there were no, there were no suppliers that made an automotive grade display Correct. that size. That is, and, that is a laptop grade display, I believe, right? Like it's, or a tablet yeah. grade. It's not, 
Right. It was for for industrial applications, actually, okay. I think. Um, but regardless, it wasn't an automotive grade display. And, you know, so they've had a lot of issues with those with, you know, the adhesives that hold the thing together, you know, uh, melting in the heat, you know, when it's sitting out there in the sun from the, the solar load. In you know, and, fact, and, and, and dog you know, mode turning turn the display yellow. Right. Dog mode is a ruse. It has nothing to do with <laughs> Having your dog survive in the car, it has everything it's about having to do, the car survive. <laughs> right. With keeping that touchscreen below a certain temperature when the, the Tesla model, whatever, is parked in the sun uh, so that they don't have to replace as many screens. So it's just, you know, that's one of the things. And, and the, the Toyota system really, to me, I, I agree. It feels like they've, they've been left behind by other automotive companies who are doing it better. So I don't know if they they had some of that um, like insular kind of like, well, we do it the Toyota way. And they, 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 they are starting to move beyond that with, with the Entune three system. Um, you know, they're, they're using it's, you know, based, like I said, on the open source automotive grade Linux platform, you know, and this, this is a platform that, you know, Toyota has been a big supporter of over the last several years, you know, taking Linux and really transforming it to um, to make it more suitable for automotive applications. You know, so it's a real time operating system. You know, it's they're making it more secure, um, more more reliable. You know, so that it can function over the long haul in these types of vehicles. Right. Well, and so is that an effort that they sort of slept on for a while, and now they're playing catch up, or they're just yeah because I mean, Honda, they, Honda already started, has automotive automotive grade Linux in its cars right uh, they have Linux but not automotive grade oh, Linux okay, okay. Uh, I mean a lot a lot of manufacturers have been basically they you know they've been rolling their own Linux distributions for automotive applications for probably the better part of ten years in in a variety of a variety of areas like GM you know the Cadillac Q system was running on Linux. Um, you know, and, and other, some of their other infotainment systems ran on Linux, but it wasn't, you know, it, it was, they had to basically hack it themselves to get it into an automotive application. Now there's a whole organization specifically targeted at developing automotive grade Linux. Um, and there's a lot of OEMs that are part of the, this, uh, partnership to, to develop this and test it and, and deploy it in vehicles. Well, to be fair, so I, I this week, a little preview for next week, I have the Toyota Prius, which is brand new, and that has an 11 and a half inch touchscreen in it. That's really nice. And that interface seems to be working pretty That's well. That's the plug-in, the so, Prius Prime? Uh, no, this is just the Prius, limited HV. Oh, okay. It's so they, the, they put the bigger screen, because they, they used to only have that larger screen in the Prime, in the plug-in hybrid. So that must be. Yeah, no, this is, it's big. It's, it's very, very nice. Uh, this one is a, uh, I think it's a 20, I could be making this up. Um, I don't know what year it is. It doesn't jump right out at me. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know what year it is either. Oh, it's a 2019. I'm sorry. It's a 2019. Uh, but this one only has 400 miles on it. So everything is working. The Sirius XM and everything is working on it. 
Um, but but you're right. I mean, this there. So I think the Toyota is moving towards some of these larger screens. And Dan, you're absolutely right. It's a very harsh environment. It's a good description. And um, it is. It's a very demanding, very harsh environment that's expected to last 12 years. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, minimum. Well, and, so, and actually, uh, was I think IHS just came out with their latest numbers. The average age of cars in the U.S. now is 11.8 years. And, you know, it's wow. it's not it's not at all uncommon to have you know, cars that are upwards of 20 years old. Like, you know, I have a car in my garage that is 20, almost 30 years old now. That thing is fabulous, by the way. <laughs> cars are very <laughs> expensive, you see. And um, we've got an entire generation or two saddled with other kind of debt. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would expect that fleet age to just continue going up for a while. Uh, and so this stuff is just going to have to work and, or, or I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the aftermarket does with it, but you know, to actually like get back to the RC too, what really strikes me is that this is a Supra. <laughs> and I, so I'm curious as to why they didn't take the RC and, and make the Supra out of that. And they, they developed, they co-developed the Supra with, um, BMW and, and developed an all new platform or, or an all new model on BMW's platform versus, taking what they already had that was pretty close you know it's a two-door coupe it seems yeah like except the except the you know the platform that they're using for the supra is is lighter um and it has an inline six-cylinder engine which is what a supra apparently should have uh that's what they've always had um and you know i, I think it was intended more as a performance vehicle whereas you know as, as rebecca said this is really a more of a luxury coupe that you know happens to be fairly sporty yeah, and there's a lot, you know, that Supra name carries a lot with it. And, you know, as Sam said, there's 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 just things that the Supra should have. Buyers. And so I think that's well, <laughs> that too. <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to bring the, bring a brand, a, a name like that back, I think you have to have a certain amount of heritage there. I, you know, that, that's fair. It's fair. I'm, the RC is just, it's this interesting car. It, it, uh, it looks really great on the road. Um, it, you know, the infotainment issues you probably had with it too, is it compared to the, the Prius that you said has a newer screen. It makes me wonder if they've prioritized like, well, the Prius buyer is going to expect this and they're going to utilize it. So we're going to, sure. and it, it's also been refreshed, I think since the RC, but right. um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. What are you guys driving? Uh, yes, yeah, Sam. What, what what are you riding around in? You get you well, want to stay I, on the I Toyota was, too? I was, uh, yeah, I, I was briefly in the uh, in the Rav Four, um, and uh, Rebecca and I talked about this on the last episode. Uh, we had to send it back early because it was having uh, Bluetooth issues when I connected my phone to it. Uh, it was constant. It start. It would start to reset the uh, whole infotainment system about every thirty seconds. Um, so that was not good. Uh, so they, they took that one back to get it checked out and they sent me uh, a Camry hybrid XLE, uh, which is, you know, the, the high end, you know, pretty much loaded version of the Camry hybrid. And, uh, I, you know, it's a very fuel efficient sedan. We've talked about the Camry before, you know, it's, it's, I think it, you know, this current generation is actually pretty decent looking. Um, it drives much better than, than in the past, you know, because it's on that TNGA platform that we've talked about. And, you know, almost everything about it is, is actually really good. I just wish that Toyota, particularly the Toyota brand, would take a clue from Hyundai and Kia 
and use some decent displays for their infotainment systems. Because this <laughs> one, like so many Toyotas I've driven in the past, the, the screen, you know, well, you know how I feel about touchscreens. But <laughs> just as a display, you know, regardless of whether you touch it or not, as a display, it's a terrible display. Uh, you know, especially in, in sunlight, if you wear polarized sunglasses, you get that whole rainbow effect on the display. Um, and same thing, this one has a, a heads-up display in it, the optional heads-up display. And the, dis- the, head- the HUD, you know, basically disappears when I put on my sunglasses. So it's, it's really not good. Uh, and that's, that's unfortunate because, you know, so much of the rest of the car works so well. You know, it's, it shouldn't be that hard to get a decent display to put in this thing. And a lot, most other manufacturers are doing a lot better with that. Um, you know, the, like I said, the ones that Hyundai and Kia uses, the displays they use, not a problem at all wearing sunglasses. You know, they, they're still nice and bright. They don't have glare. You know, Toyota still uses these very shiny, you know, the, the high gloss displays uh, like you find on a lot of laptops that, you know, tend to amplify the contrast of it. But it also <laughs> makes means you have a lot of glare when the sun is shining in at various angles coming through the windows, uh, which also makes it difficult to see. So these things are, you know, they're, they're things that really hurt the everyday user experience in this thing. Um, but other than that, you know, the rest of the car you know, works really well. You know, it's it's pretty much loaded. It's got the, the navigation package, the driver assist package, um, the um, lane keeping system is the only part of the driver assist that is okay. It's not great in its performance and its ability to kind of keep the car centered in the lane. It does tend to drift a little bit from side to side, but other than that, um, you know, the other parts of it work really well. Um, you know, at, at $38,215 delivered, you know, it's not, it's not an inexpensive car. It's not um, that expensive but, though. 38 grand. For- no, no. And you, you know, you can get a Camry hybrid, you know, for, you know, 25, yeah, $26,000 too. Um, so, you know, this, you know, this is, you know, the luxury edition, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, so you've got leather seating and everything. It's got a lot of room inside, you know, um, good size trunk in it. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a, if you're looking for, you know, a good, uh, midsize family sedan, uh, you know, for, you know, the three or four of you out there that are still doing that, um, you know, this, this is a really good choice. Uh, just, you know, at same, same warning as, you know, with the Lexus, it still doesn't have support for Android auto, uh, that for the moment that's still limited to the, the Avalon, but I think the 2020 models will get that upgrade. Uh, so this is still a 2019 model that I was driving, uh, and the the blue streak metallic paint looks really great on this thing. So you know, so it's, it's a good good midsize sedan. Yeah, it, it's a one of the few of a dying breed. Although I heard a or I read a, a headline, um, I saw it scroll by that said millennials are moving back to sedans, which good. I don't good for I, I don't know how true that is. I, you know, we talked about <laughs> well, we'll this see. a little bit before. Is there's still a sedan market? You can it's going to oh, yeah. contract a little I mean, bit. It, it, it's oh, still yeah. it's still a good size market. I mean, you know, Toyota still sells three hundred thousand cameras a year. I mean, it's not it's not quite as big as it used to be, but it's still a big big market. And 
you know, they're one thing about Toyota is that they have really committed to doing a lot of the driver assist features as standard equipment across all of their lineup. So, you know, like most of their other models now, the Camry has their um, safety sense P package as standard. So that means that you get um, pre-collision warning with pedestrian detection, uh, full speed, uh, full speed stop and go adaptive cruise control, uh, lane departure warning, um, blind spot monitoring, uh, automatic high beams and, um, um, and, and the uh, uh, rear cross traffic alert, all standard equipment, even on the base model, on, on, a, on the least expensive model. So, you know, you're going to get, you know, all of all those safety features, no matter what price point you, you get it at. But I think they're also playing catch up a little bit because wasn't Honda the first one to do that? I mean, maybe um, I'm believing their press release. Honda, but. Honda, Honda was the first um, to make it available. Uh, across the lineup on all their trim levels on the uh, when they launched the new Civic. Oh, I thought they made uh, but, it standard. Uh, well, they, Honda only made it standard. Uh, they made it standard when they launched the the, the new Accord a couple of years ago. Okay. Um, and they made it standard on the the Civic for 2019. But uh, Toyota was uh, the first to make it standard across the board on a whole bunch of models, including the Camry, the uh, the Corolla, and and uh, several others. Ah, okay. Well, good on them. I think I think yeah. that's really it, it, it's it's so important for those to be standard. So that's good. Well, especially in a family vehicle, Kudos. you know, it's, it seems like that's that's something that they can really point at and say, you know, like we've got these things in here to make you safe. Mm. It's, a, it's a good selling point. Yeah, and you know, on on every vehicle, you know, I mean these these are features that are are now becoming relatively commoditized. They're not that expensive to implement. And, you know, especially when you do it in high volumes like this, and it makes a big difference, you know, think, think, especially things like uh, blind spot monitoring, cross traffic alert and adaptive cruise control. Those those three, I think, are the really big ones that are really important. Rear cross traffic alert. Did you say that? Yeah. Yeah. OK, good. Yeah. <laughs> so can I tell a quick funny story? So sure. I I was helping my sister and my brother in law buy a new to them used vehicle. And I'm trying to explain to my brother-in-law, who is a banker and is accounts for every penny that goes in and out of his bank account. Good for him. And I'm trying to explain to him the benefits of things like blind spot monitoring. And he doesn't want to hear it. He's just he doesn't care. He's never seen this technology. Both their cars are over 10 years old. Doesn't care. So we go to uh, this Novak Motors on uh, Long Island that was excellent I think I had mentioned it a, a couple of podcasts ago had a really terrific experience there but when we get there there's two Jeep Grand Cherokees and they're almost exactly spec the same and but one has blind spot monitoring but it's like two thousand dollars more because it's a little bit newer and I said to my sister look you you really need to look at this vehicle it's got blind spot monitoring blah 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 she doesn't even talk to her husband about it won't even mention it because I am clearly beating a dead horse. Fine. So she go, She buys the one that doesn't have the blind spot monitoring. And she loves the Jeep. Thrilled with it. My brother-in-law drives it for the first time this weekend. And the first thing he says to her is, wait, why doesn't it tell me when there's a car in my way or in my lane or you know, in the next lane? And she looks at him and says, because that's 
blind spot monitoring and you said you didn't want it. (laughs) And the very first thing he points out is the one thing that I tried to tell him that you need to have. And it was just, it was both justice and frustrating at the same time because now they have a car that doesn't have it. And all he could say was, oh, (laughs) (laughs) That's why you should always let the wife make these decisions. Or at least listen to the sister-in-law who does this for you a know, living. <laughs> I find that I get the first question I ask when people ask me about cars is, you know, like, well, I'm, I'm looking to buy a car. What should I buy? What are you looking at? Okay, great. What do you like? Like, what's your favorite of those? Okay, buy that one. <laughs> right? Well, that was that's kind of where I got to because he had a budget in mind. Yeah. And the one with the blind spot monitoring was over his budget and that was it. But as soon as he didn't have it, then he was like, but wait a minute. What about that? It's an insurance feature. Really? It's just, it helps you make sure you're not going to crack up your new car. Exactly. And, you know, I think it was also, it's, it's representative though of how these things need to be demonstrated. You know, I don't want to get us off on a tangent on this because we've talked about it before, but it's, you know, when you're going to look at, at a new to you car, driving these cars, trying them out, seeing what it's like to have it and what it's like to not have it, I think is just, it's so important. It's one of the key things I think when, when we're thinking about, you know, helping people buy cars. Absolutely. So thank you for yeah, telling absolutely. my story. Thank you for telling my little story. I, I'm glad it didn't take an accident for that to happen. I was I was waiting for oh. that. Because you see that all the time. No. You see like, the shiny, nice new car that somebody's had for a couple of weeks and they've you can they've already backed it into something. Well, on the test drive, on the test drive, my sister said, I can't she knew that there was a car in her lane, but she couldn't tell if he was still there or not. Like he had been there and it turned out that he had made the right hand turn into a parking lot. And I said to her, I said, That's what blind spot monitoring helps you with. But they still didn't get it. <laughs> so there's only so much you can do. It's, I mean, it's their money. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, well, so I actually, I drove a car that had, did not have blind spot monitoring. I don't even think it's available. What? Uh, yeah. Which uh, is one of the knocks. So I, I went down to South Carolina and so I called up our friends at BMW and they were gracious enough to lend me and uh, my my coterie, my family, a X2 M35i to use while we were down there. And so we got to pick it up at the factory, which is really cool because uh, I don't know. That is super if cool. Your, like what your image of an auto factory is, but a lot of people would think like it's just just a super industrial site and it's a smoke belching thing. Nope. It's just it's like a clean office park. No. It's enormous. That plant it's, is incredible. That Spartanburg yeah, plant. It is. It's neatly landscaped. It's it is huge. We we drove around like the whole thing. I was like, it, it's BMW's biggest factory and their biggest global yeah, factory. It's, it's really really impressive. And what's the, I think what's the most impressive is just it it just tucks neatly into the the countryside down there, and it 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 doesn't. It, there's no like apparent disgusting pollution or, or anything like that. It seems like a really clean, self-contained uh, thing. So that it was, it was cool. And apparently they've run out of space where they are and they're going to tunnel under the highway and start expanding over there as well. So um, yeah, I'm sure it's a big employer in that area and it's great that uh, they're there sort of driving the economy. Cause we also went to, to downtown Greenville and it clearly the economy is doing pretty well there. It's, 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 it seems like there's, um, a, a good benefit from having 
multiple, this is, I think Volvo is also right down in the area with their S60 plant now or whatever they're going to make there. Yeah, they're, they're not far from there. Uh, and, you know, for, for what it's worth, you know, when, when we think about the, uh, all the, the trade uh, wars going on right now, it's important to remember that places like that, the, uh, the, uh, the, the BMW plant in Spartanburg is actually the biggest exporter of vehicles from the United States of any factory. I think it's 85%. Wow. Of all their vehicles are exported. I, I knew it was big. But uh, no, I don't think it's quite that high. I think, I think it's, I think it's closer to about two thirds, but. Okay. Maybe it's a certain they do, they do sell, they do sell a lot of those SUVs here. Yeah. Right. Certain models like, yeah. like the X6 and, and some of the others, um, you know, are, you know, predominantly exported because uh, they're much more popular overseas. Right, and every single one here. of those is yeah. made but, here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Because they had told me they had given me some figures when I was in Munich about it. And this was last year when the trade wars were just talking, just go bubbling up and how frustrating it was for them because they're they're a big employer and they export a ton. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it was just it, it's really cool to see that going <laughs> on, um, because especially in, in the south, like that's an area that economically you think of as, as struggling to a certain degree, manufacturing has just moved out in, in other industries. So to, to see it there and that vibrant, it was, it was awesome. So I was really pleased that we were able to go um, see that and pick up the car at the factory. And Sam, you were saying that they actually have a natural gas pipeline from the, um, from the landfill. So they get a percentage of their power. And I think they have solar on site as well. They, they get, they, yeah, they, they generate almost all of their power on site um, using biogas that's piped in from the neighboring yeah. landfill. I mean, that, that's, so, so instead of instead of the landfill venting off methane into the atmosphere, they just pipe it in over to the plant, scrub it, and use it to generate electricity. That, that I mean, that's great. I, I I was so I was really impressed with that. It was a good start to the trip, and uh, the fact that we had an X two M thirty five I also didn't hurt in in some ways. Um, <laughs> there are some criticisms of this car. So the sort of hit list is that it's too small. It's too stiff. It's too expensive. Has weird throttle response, poor visibility, no steering feel. And, you know, I can get behind some of that, but, uh, you know, like I did, I wished for better steering feel. I, I did find myself wandering around in lanes a little bit uh, if I, like, momentarily attended to iDrive or something. And it is stiff, but it's the M35i. Like, you know what you're buying. Um, so steering feel... That's a valid criticism. Got it. It's it's on run flats. I think it was on 20-inch uh, run flats, uh, which sort of, they make it stiff, and they I think they suck some of the steering feel out of it. BMW steering feel has been a, a bone of contention over the last couple of years. So, okay, that's fine. Um, Size-wise, I, I really, again, it's the compact utility. Yes, an X1 is a little bit more versatile, but this car brings with it a a certain load of styling. And everybody agrees that it looks fantastic because it does. It looks really good. <laughs> um, and it's, so it's it's entertaining to park it somewhere and walk away and glance back at it. It's it's, it's a good looking car. Um, I think I think it's great. I think those are super yeah. fun. I had one. I had one last year that I just loved zipping around in it. It was yeah, awesome. Well, so, and so the throttle response thing, I, I in comfort and eco pro modes, it, it definitely mm-hmm. 
it, it does have a little bit of, it's not really hesitation and it's not lag. It's, I think it's more just, it's, it's tuned to deliver some, some better fuel economy. Uh, right. I was going to say it's, it's yeah. a fuel economy thing. But it in sounds sport like. mode, it's very yeah. responsive. It's, it's right there. And I did find yeah. myself using sport mode a lot just because I wanted that responsiveness, uh, you know, for stuff right. like the highways are under construction in this area. So there are times where you've got tight merges and short ramps and stuff, and you just want to make sure that the car is going to do what you ask it to do when you ask it to do it. Uh, you put it in sport mode and that's, that's fine. And then when you want to relax, you put it in eco pro and <laughs> it smooths everything out, modulates everything. Uh, but yeah, space was fine for, you know, uh, uh, relatively. There were, were there three of, of you or f- yeah. four of and, them? Oh, wow. Um, that's awesome. I found that I could easily sit behind myself, uh, in terms of having the seat adjusted. I, I do think that if, you know, somebody's a little taller in the front, you're going to have a tighter back seat. Cargo space isn't huge, but it's it was fine. It put most of our luggage in it um, without an issue, without it feeling really tight. So, um, you know, again, it, you're not necessarily buying the X2 for its maximum utility. You're buying it because of how it looks and how it makes you feel. And well, and you're buying it for the occasional yeah, utility, yeah. right? It's not like... If you need something every single day, then you make right, it something getting, different. But no, I agree. I think yeah, it I mean, looks yeah, great. If, if, you, if you do need the maximum utility, you buy an right. X1 or an X3, right. not the and, X2. And so that's, that's their same sausage, different lengths kind of thing, right? Like they, they've, got, they've got you covered if that's what you want. Um, and if you, if you wanted an X1, but you wanted it a little more sleek, here you go. Here's an X2. Um, so – the visibility also I didn't think was poor. The, the rear window is small, but the, the mirrors are good. And, and uh, you know, get the lack of blind spot monitoring, it will be probably an issue for some people. Uh, I don't even think it's available. And at fifty two, fifty three thousand dollars $53,000, I think was what this one stickered for. It might have even been higher. Uh, it, it seems like a weird omission. Um, that seems really weird. Yeah. How were the seats? The seats were, the seats were fantastic because it they had were. the M Sport okay. seats and it had the right. uh, magma red uh, Napa leather. Uh, so it's, it was white on the outside, the black shadow line or the, with the shadow line trim. So white and black on the outside, and then just this red. It's really orange leather. That's gorgeous. And it was just yeah. <laughs> I love. Cannot state how much I loved how it looked. Uh, and the M Sport so, seats are fantastic. So is is. Is blind spot monitoring not available? Yeah. I, or did that one just not seem to have No, it? I think it's not available. That doesn't seem. Yeah, it's uh, it, it wasn't on the last X2 that I drove the regular the the uh, the regular X2. Um, and I'm I'm looking at the BMW website right now and it doesn't look like it's available on any X2, including the so M35i. Why? That doesn't yeah. make any sense. It seems a little bit weird that it's not. And it, there must be must be some reason um because i mean if they could add it and charge you for it they will because this is bmw (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean generally bmw is more than happy to add you know all the options all the conceivable (laughs) options you would want and 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 yes we have blind spot monitoring that'll be an extra fifteen hundred dollars please i think that's a legitimate question that we need to pose to bmw because sure that just it seems like a really remedial as we talked about, that seems like something that everything has these days. Every every brand has that has blind spot monitoring. Yeah, I was so I was surprised by that. I, I will say, like, it wasn't an issue for me, but I can see for for some drivers just having the peace of mind, it it would be. Um, 
Well, especially in the in the X2, uh, because you know I think you you do have a little bit worse uh, visibility to the, yep. the rear corners right. than you do in an X1 or an X3. Uh, the pillars are a little thicker. The you know the 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 roof line is a little shorter. So it's you're a little more enclosed in there. And so I think having something like blind spot monitoring would be a real oh, I benefit. Agree. I agree. Uh, again, even if it's just for peace of mind so you can see the lights or, or something so you know that there's something there. It's just sort of like a, a double check. Um, but uh, the overall experience of the X2 is, is great. And in terms of, you know, how it goes, it's really entertaining to drive, especially in sport mode. And it makes all the right sounds. Um, the transmission's really well matched. It, it will downshift when you decelerate and stuff. It's, it seems to uh, handle pretty well. I didn't ring it out that much in a strange state on strange roads, but uh, it, with strange drivers, yeah, well, very, <laughs> very, very different down there. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's an entertaining package. And so the price being up in the fifties <coughs> made me. It, it 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 it's not breathtaking, and I think the knock on the M35i is too expensive is kind of misplaced because you know what you're buying. You know, it's the same as knocking it for being too stiff. No, you know what you're buying. If you want something less stiff, buy the X. You know, the M M uh, the the twenty eight i whatever they call it, the you know X drive twenty eight i. Um, which is it'll be a little softer. It'll be mostly the same thing. It looks just as good. Uh, well. It looks still looks good. It doesn't look just as good. Uh, you know, it, just, it certainly has a little sporty edge. It's a M35. Um, but you're, you're buying a premium car. So you know what you're in for. And if you want a cheaper car, buy a cheaper car. <laughs> that's, that's the best advice I can, I can give there. Uh, and, the, and, the, and there are plenty of more affordable yeah. options. You know, you, you don't have to have a, you don't have well, to have the same set one. of hardware is the mini countryman. Uh, and yeah, I, w- I will say like in the past, I've said, and the countryman is significantly less expensive, uh, but the character is quite different. So even though they're the same thing, they're not really the same. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're the same under the skin. Well, and, and I don't think, uh, I don't think you can get a countryman with the 300 no, horsepower engine. I don't think, I don't think it goes that high. Um, I think even I think even the uh, the John Cooper Works like Countryman is is still yeah, only about two twenty. It's less than that. Yeah, I, and it, and it's a really very different ownership experience. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's it's just the BMW is very BMW, and the Mini is very Mini. They have that distinct yes. character, and I I certainly liked that. Uh, you know, iDrive has been refined to the point where, um, you know, I, in a weird place, but I can use the nav to find what I'm looking for in multiple different ways. It it, it all it all works very well and bmw's consistency is really welcome because our our travel day our first travel day was like the multimodal hellscape and so getting into this bmw after dealing with airlines and lost luggage and just whatever other nonsense you know traffic jams in boston and getting there late and weather delays it was just like sitting in this thing like okay all right everything is familiar I've never driven the X2 before, but I've driven a bunch of BMWs. And so everything works the way it works in BMWs. And that was, that's great. And I I think it was just a reminder of how having such a a clear vision about how the car operates and also executing it very well 
it really pays dividends and it, it's a very familiar experience. And I, th- I think that's why BMW has some, some loyal ownership too, is it's just, it's, it's so consistent across the years that you know what you're getting, you know what to expect, you know how the thing's going to behave. And, and so uh, it was a really nice car to have as a, you know, cool, you know, pseudo rental <laughs> instead of like, instead of a beat up Sonata or something that would have been fine as well. But um, you know, you, you ask for, ask for favors when you can get them. And it was, so I appreciate BMW lending us the car. Um, and then we came back to a, a Jetta GLI, which uh, is also kind of stiff and lacks steering feel. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, but the, I mean, the, I don't want to talk too much about the Jetta cause I haven't really finished up my time with it, but it, it's a, you know, good sort of semi sporty economy, economical, I won't call it economy, but economical sedan. It's essentially a four-door, you know, sedan GTI. Yeah, it's not quite as charming as a GTI. Uh, it handles well, and it has, you know, d- decent powertrain. Um, but this is the GLI S, I guess. So it's the like the lowest trim level of the GLI. So whatever. I don't know. I think that's what it says. In the, I, again, I haven't spent a whole lot of time with it, but it seems a little base model-ish. Um, so I'm adjusting to it. I, I want to give it a fair shake. So we'll talk about it more next week. And let's just... just Let's move out of the garage. <laughs> onto some but I, I, I will say that to think about going on a plant tour on vacation with your family. Yeah. It's not, it's not usually at the top of the list, but if you're in that area, that, that plant is amazing. No, it would have been, it would have been cool. I, I should have set it up because there was a, a bunch of um, young men all between uh, 11 and 13, 14 with us that probably would have very much been interested in it. So. And the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, understandably, the girls might have been a little less interested, but they would have played along. So that depends exactly. on the girls. It depends on the girls because it's actually really cool going yeah. to if depending upon what you do. But sometimes you, yeah, and, it can be really cool. And and, spe- and and speaking of plant tours, you know, if you happen to be in Southeast Michigan, you know, and you want to see, you know, uh, a, a great plant to to take a tour of that's a you know that's open all the time. Um, the Ford truck plant in Dearborn, uh, they do tours of that place all the time. Uh, out of the they go from they have shuttle buses that go from the Henry Ford Museum, and uh, it's it's a really cool tour. You get to walk around. You walk around up above the plant, uh, up above the the main plant floor, and you you go through all the different parts of the plant. You get to see the body shop and assembly and everything, and you see how they crank those things out. You know, about one a minute. You know, oh, twenty four hours that's a day. A crazy pace! Wow, that's one a minute, man. <laughs> that's 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 a lot of trucks. Yeah, they do about sixty sixty Jesus. an hour. Um. Yeah, I, I was a little. Um, I was kicking myself that I didn't schedule a plant tour, but, um, you know, we, we made up for it. We went to downtown Greenville, which I also, if you're in that area, it's cool. But yeah. Greenville's yeah, a nice I, place. I, really, I yeah. was impressed. I, there's a lot of, a lot of life there. Um, so that's, that's our travel log for this week. <laughs> I feel like we've turned into Rick Steves <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's, let's move on to some topics. Let's talk about uh, a couple of things. Um, the first thing on our list was, uh, Sam, you had uh, put a link to a a test that Regulus Cyber, I think is the name of the company, um, did some, some spoofing tests on a uh, Tesla Model 3 and a Model S basically to confuse the autopilot system and, and hack it and, and basically make the car do stuff it's not supposed to do. 
And uh, so the outcome of the test showed some some pretty uh, eye-opening vulnerabilities of the Model 3 uh, in particular. And I'm just curious if they picked the Tesla because it's it's so popular and it does this sort of this hacking test really uh, apply to other cars well, as well. Yeah. So the, the reason why they use the model, the, the Tesla is, is because Tesla is the first to implement this idea of uh, navigate on autopilot, which is, you know, an, an on ramp to off ramp uh, automation system. You know, you engage it as you're getting onto the highway and you pro you put in your pro your destination as you would with any other nav system, uh, and then you know it does most of the driving while you're on the highway, and will even guide you to the you know it will do the lane change to the off ramp, and then you have to take over again. What um, what Regulus did was they demonstrated something that's already you know fairly well known, which is the the concept of spoofing GPS. Um, so, you know, for those that aren't familiar with how GPS works, you know, you've got this constellation of satellites floating, floating around in space above us, and they're all synced up, you know, and there's actually multiple of these. There's a global positioning system is the U S system. Uh, and then, excuse me, there's also, um, the GLONASS system, which is the Russian version of this and uh europe has their own that's called galileo they all function basically the same way all the satellites in the constellation are synchronized together uh, and they send messages down to receivers on the ground and the messages include a timestamp. Uh, so they've got the id of the satellite and the timestamp, and the receiver knows where the satellite is and because of the amount of time, depending on where you are, it may take it's going to take different amounts of time to get a signal from each of those satellites. So the, the, if you're sitting directly under one of the satellites, that's going to be the shortest distance to that satellite. And so you're going to have the shortest time. Any satellite that's further away from you is going to have a little bit more of a, right, a time tri- skew on it. Triangulation based on those, is basically, yeah. Yeah. So based based on those differences in the time signal, the system can calculate what your position is. That's assuming that all those signals come to you in a straight line and they don't bounce off of anything like tall buildings. If you've ever driven around in a city like New York or Chicago uh, in an urban area where there's a lot of tall buildings, you may have noticed that uh, your your navigation system will oftentimes tell you that you are three or four blocks away from where you actually are. Because if the if the signal bounces back and forth a few times, it actually ends up having to go a little bit farther, and it changes that time that time skew, and it, it miscalculates you mean you where can't you even are. Get FM radio well, in the city sometimes. <laughs> that that's true. So what the what the crew at Regulus did was they used this principle. And the other thing about GPS uh, and all these others is these signals from the satellites are actually fairly weak. Um, and so if you have a very strong local signal that is broadcasting, it can easily overwhelm the signal from the satellites. And so what they did was they set up a system to broadcast um, essentially GPS signals at a car, at a Tesla that was driving by, and it it overwhelmed the signals from the satellites and made it and they made it think that the car was somewhere further down the road than it actually was. And because the, the navigator on autopilot is relying on that GPS information um, and it was plan- it was going to get off on an on uh, off ramp about a mile down the road. It actually ended up turning off 
uh, at a rest area uh, before it was supposed to. And so the, you know, this is something that, um, you know, they're, they're working on trying to improve, but this is one of the reasons why for, um, for most other autonomous systems that aren't coming from Tesla, they're not relying just solely on GPS. They're relying on other things as well uh, to help figure out where the car is on the planet. Uh, they're using things like high definition maps, which use, um, you know, they're map systems that have all the, the, the features on the ground, you know, buildings and bridges and, and everything else with the location of those. And then using the sensors on the car to, calculate from uh, from where it sees all these objects around you uh, where you actually are. So it's triangulating off of physical objects instead of these uh, radio signals from the satellites. And then you can cross check those two against each other to make sure that, um, you know, that you're actually where you think you are. Uh, so this is one of the, the problems with Tesla's approach to this is they're not putting in enough redundancy, you know, especially in areas like this where there are known weaknesses. You know, GPS has known weaknesses. It's an incredibly valuable system, but it's not perfect. And so, you know, other companies are relying on multiple ways of figuring out the location of the car in order to navigate to a particular location. So the i guess like those those other systems that other those the systems that other automakers are implementing is that why they're they're further behind um in rolling something out i mean the only real sort of competitor to navigate on autopilot would be like super cruise and it's not it's not there it's a lot more cautious in in that respect is that because they're being more careful yeah i mean uh... Yeah, um, that that's that's exactly it. You know, every, everybody else is is I think taking a little more care in how they're implementing this. You know, to try to avoid some of the they're they're thinking about what are the ways that this could go wrong, and trying to avoid those. And they're building in systems to to work around that. You know, so that you're not you don't have a single point of failure. And you know, I mean, a perfect example of of you know where this can go wrong is the the Boeing seven three seven Max. You know, which had a single point of failure with an angle of attack sensor and made two planes crash. Um, you know, so you for for safety critical systems like this, you don't want to rely on just a single input. You want to have at least two, preferably three inputs that are looking at different things to try to get you the same information that so you can cross check them against each other um, and make sure, you know, and make sure that uh, they're they're that it's actually seeing what it thinks it's seeing. So basically, there weren't any redundancies on this thing. That's crazy. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. But it's also, but it's also cheaper. Yeah, I mean, so that they have to like subscribe to. So, so do you want do you want cheap or do you want good? <laughs> I want yeah. both. Look, I can drive myself <laughs> for free. Um, <laughs> they have to, so they'd have to subscribe to like those other the other map data, right? Like that's another map supplier. They they could get it from various map suppliers. Uh, like for example, um, Nissan a few weeks ago announced their ProPilot uh, 2.0 system. Uh, you know, they've got the current one that's on the market today, which is uh, adaptive cruise and some lane centering capability. The version two is going to include high definition maps uh, and it's going to have the same kind of uh, hands off, you know, on ramp to off ramp type of capability as autopilot. But they are using HD maps for that system. Um, Super Cruise also uses uh, HD maps, but they're they're not doing on ramp to off ramp 
uh, but it is a hands-off system. And they're just using the maps right now just for uh, geofencing to make sure that you only engage it on divided highways. Uh, so there's companies like TomTom Tom and here that are offering commercial solutions. Um, Nissan is actually using uh, a solution from uh, Mobileye called Roadbook. Um, and for the high level automation stuff right, you know, right now, the, you know, the level four automated vehicles are coming from companies like Waymo and, and Cruise and Ford and Argo. A lot of those companies are actually doing their own maps in house. Um, rather than using uh, external maps. That seems expensive. Is that because they want to make sure that they're getting the data the way they need it? Exactly. Yeah, they, they want to have it formatted the way they need it, um, you know, to, to match what their what their sensors are seeing. And also, um, you know, a lot of the, the commercial solutions right now don't have enough coverage. Um, and, you know, most of the, the testing that's going on with those with the, you know, the systems from Waymo and Cruise and, and others are limited to very specific cities and, and locations. And, you know, so when they started doing this, there weren't HD maps available. So they just they built up their own systems for doing the HD maps. Um, and at least for the time being, they're they're planning on continuing to use their own maps rather than licensing maps. But at some point, they may end up licensing maps from one of these other providers. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you've got your own stuff and you trust it, might as well uh, might as well use it. So, what does this mean for the? I guess the pace of uh, autonomous vehicle rollout, like it's going to be uh, a while before. Yeah, it's going to be slow. It's yeah. you know, it's. It's not going to happen in 2020. There aren't going to be a million robo taxis in 20, or at least not a million safe robo taxis in 2020. Oh, how, how dare you contradict <laughs> Elon Musk? <laughs> I, what can I say? Well, you know, and I guess one last thing that makes me curious is so that whole comparison, right? The, the um, comparing physical landmarks to map position data is that what they're using stuff from like uh, NVIDIA or other GPU hardware to, to basically do that? that processing horsepower of just sort of recognizing objects and then saying, okay, this correlates to that thing. And we know it's a known location because it's the physical thing. And like, that, that seems like it's kind of processor intensive or like horsepower. Intensive. Yeah, that, that is, that is part of it. Um, you know, one of the other advantages you can get out of having those HD maps. So is in some ways you can actually reduce the amount of processing power required. Uh, like for example, um, Argo, you know, they, they have their HD maps and, you know, in, in addition to the buildings and stuff as you drive down the road, it also has the locations of things like traffic signals and, and, and signs. So, you know, as the car drives down the road, it knows exactly where to look for the signals and signs. Uh, and so instead of scanning the entire scene that, you know, all, what the entire area that the sensors can see looking for traffic signals, it's, you know, based on where it knows it is, it can say, oh, there should be a traffic signal right here. And it can focus on a smaller area for trying to recognize the traffic signals. And then that, um, you know, that re actually reduces the amount of processing power required because it doesn't have to process the entire image looking for that. That's almost like a person would do. Yeah. You, it's strange how that works. <laughs> This is going to be great when it actually, well, no, it's not going to be great. It's going to be creepy. It's going to be <laughs> weird. Um, yeah. So uh, again, there are no fully automated cars on the road, despite what you may hear or read or see. 
just just because you have paid for a full self-driving feature on your car doesn't mean that you actually have that capability. So please, unless you're driving a car with GM Super Cruise or ProPilot 2.0, keep your hands on the steering wheel. Do not yeah. take a nap. Well, and I guess that's the key too. Is like the the first day, the the test that they did where they were able to make the Model Three veer off, uh, you know, five hundred feet or something short of where it was expected, where the driver expected it to go was and that caught the driver by surprise. Even in this test, where the driver had his hands in his lap, so he wasn't yeah. able to actually catch it and keep it back on the highway. It had already initiated an exit, and it was too late to safely re-enter the traffic. So, um, yeah. It's, uh, it's still the wild west. That's great. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's going to be yeah. awesome when I get to mix it up on Boston roads with those cars. Um, hey, Newtonomy uh, or Aptive's already doing that with their, the, their crew from Newtonomy. Yeah. Are they still, I, they had been testing the, down in the seaport. I'm not sure if they, yeah, have. yeah, they still are. Yeah. It's a safe enough place. Aren't they? I mean, let's hit a few people down there. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so the other thing that you and Rebecca both attended was the FCA What's New. And so that's always a really cool event because uh, while while people will say like, well, FCA, you know, Dodge, Chrysler, they're domestic brands, uh, Dodge, Chrysler, Jeep, Ram. Uh, really, there's just only signs of life at like Jeep and Ram uh, for the most part. Like Dodge and Chrysler seem mm-hmm. a little bit fallow, but that's actually not no, the case. Not, not necessarily. Yeah. So you and you guys saw some stuff. So so tell tell us about it a little bit. Well, first there's been an executive change also. So Jim Morrison is now running Jeep, and I've known Jim a long time. Not the singer, and uh, he uh, is a Canadian guy who loves this brand and just understands it. Is so excited about it. Uh, he had been running Ram for a while, and now he's back at Jeep, and that's just it's exactly where he belongs. So that was really great and exciting news. Uh, and I think he's, he's perfect to run the brand. So that's on the executive side of things. Yeah. He had been running it a while ago. Uh, uh, that's had. where he came from, right? Right. He came from Jeep. Yeah. Before, before Mike Manley was running right. it, he, Jim was running it. Right. So it's a, it's a great move back for him. So it's exciting. And, 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 you know, Mike Manley, of course, is now the CEO of, F, <clears throat> of FCA uh, since the death of uh, Sergio Marchionne last summer. Right. So now Mike is running the company. And it was interesting talking to some people about that because I said, you know, what are some of the biggest differences? And they said, well, actually, Mike is all he does is run FCA as opposed to, you know, six other companies. And so they said it's just <laughs> a lot easier to keep track of what's happening. But does he chain smoke like Sergio? <laughs> he does, uh, I don't believe so, but I but I don't know. But so anyway, but I think, you know, to your point, Dan, I think there's actually a lot of st- really cool stuff going on at Dodge. And they're just so unapologetically muscle car oriented. And I, I think that's great. I love that. So Sam, I know you want to talk about the wide body. And what they showed. Yeah. So, so yeah, we, uh, we saw yet another iteration of the charger this week, uh, the 2020 Dodge charger wide body, which, um, like the challenger wide body, uh, gets wider fender flares, um, revised, uh, revised, uh, suspension front and rear that, um, makes the car about three and a half inches wider. 
uh, and you know gives it a more an even more aggressive look. Uh, and the on the charger, the four door charger, uh, it's available with either the Hellcat engine, the seven hundred and seven horsepower Hellcat, or the the six point four liter Hemi in the uh, Scat Pack. Uh, and you know basically what you, what you're getting here is just you know a, a slightly more practical version of the 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 high performance challengers you know but with all the all the other same mechanical bits in it and it's it funny i was joking the other day you know it's it's starting to look like um you know the dodge charger and challenger are the new morgan you know it's the morgan for the 21st <laughs> century you know I mean, morgan built basically the same cars for you know 60 years or more and is still building those cars and you know the the Charger and Challenger, you know they're um, going you know through what about twelve years now, twelve thirteen years into their run, and and they're, still going strong. Yeah. And and the the thing Tim Kaniskas was saying was you know last year was you know twenty eighteen was one of their best years yet for those two yeah. models. You know they Amazing. sold over one hundred and fifty thousand of those. <laughs> so yeah, I was thinking about this the other day. So one of the ways that I first got into cars was you know basically through a model that had been in production for nearly 20 years. Um, and then it, like basically rear wheel drive Volvo. So I started with the 240, the 240 went from 75 to 93. <laughs> That's almost 20 years. And there were changes in there, but I, I was thinking like, you know, if they keep the charger and challenger around for just a little bit longer, or even just right now, like the first, few model years those cars are cheap enough now that you know somebody can buy one for like a thousand or two thousand bucks and you can you can assemble one as your first car like i did with my first cars and so that's that's going to be an entry point if it isn't already it's it 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 will be soon so i don't know some of that like enthusiast future seems bright because those cars have been around for so long if that makes any sense i'm just trying to relate it to my experience. yeah no yeah. It, it does and and, you know, we, we've talked, you know, at length about this in the past and how much we like driving those things. You know, I mean, it's, it's a really good, solid platform, you know, good powertrains. You know, even the V6, even the Pentastar V6 is a really good option in those things, you know, as, as an entry point. You know, that still has, you know, you've still got almost 300 horsepower with that V6 engine. You get decent fuel economy and. You know, it's relatively affordable, even even as a new car, you know, much less, you know, a, an eight or nine or 10 year old used one. And they're yeah, just that's... fun to drive. They're like nothing else on the yeah. road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, they're sort of like a throwback, but they've got modern features. They, they're they not not. Pon I mean, they're big, but they're they're not ponderous. You know, they, they drive with some discipline. Um, but I, I guess that's also somewhat terrifying is how cheap they are with that big V8 and lots of speed. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Yeah. It's, like, it's likely that there's going to be, you know, a lot of people that probably shouldn't be driving such a vehicle. Um, <laughs> but they, what are you going to do? But you know what? I, I love I love that, that what they've done with the Dodge brand because it's it's such an emotional brand. And it's so unapologetically that way. And there's such a sense of passion. Like you can, you can imagine the team, you know, putting these cars together. Like they're like little boys and girls. 
that are so excited about this and the crayon drawings that they pull out, you know, from their first, you know, when they're five and six years old and their Hot Wheel collection. And they're they're basically making life-size Hot Wheels, <laughs> you I, know, and that's awesome. I love the, yeah, I love the cars. I hate the advertising, the way they've positioned it. Um, Dodge in particular, just like, are you a jerk? <laughs> <laughs> we've got the car for you but but so it's interesting dan because years ago i my my a former colleague and i uh john wakonowitz who's just fantastic we looked at dodge advertising and this was in the heyday of that thing got a hemi yeah right and and you know they had they had had a campaign with dr zetcha and what the surveys showed was that people that were asked about both campaigns, the Dr. Z campaign, they thought he was a caricature. They had no idea right. that he was the president of the company. They couldn't understand his German accent. Like there wasn't anything relatable with Dr. Z. This is in the Daimler Chrysler days, obviously. And the, that thing got a Hemi, that sort of, that that over-the-top, you know, in your face kind of advertising that's what appeals to these types of buyers oh i well i mean as a as a bit of branding it's brilliant because it's it's a catchphrase and it's you know easily portable it's m- much more memorable all of that is is fine it's just um I think now, and I, you know, I follow Dodge and, and Mopar on on Twitter, even, and just like all of the pictures they post are like sinister, and they show the blacked out car, and it's just like, you know, you guys don't, you don't have to be, so it's, you know, it's very much like Harley's same kind of thing. Yeah. They're trying to cultivate like I'm a real badass kind of right. thing. It's like, no, you're just a dick. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> like, because the cars are really good. I love the cars. Uh, even the, like you were saying, the V6, like the, the Challenger GT is one of my favorite cars because it's just, it's it, it's a pony car with a, a, a real trunk and it's confident in pretty much every condition. It's comfortable. It has enough performance to keep you happy. It looks fantastic. And it's, just, you know, it's just, it's really well priced. Uh, so yeah, but moving beyond the marketing message, because that's not what we're here for. <laughs> Um, so you guys did a couple of things. They, the biggest, uh, I guess, introductions that stood out to you were both the, the, the Chrysler Voyager and the, the, the wide body, like you talked about. And you also interviewed, um, Jeff Lux, right? From yep. FCA. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff is the, uh, head of transmission and powertrain, uh, for Fiat Chrysler. And, uh, we, we, Rebecca and I sat down with him to, uh, talk about electrification and kind of where FCA stands on all that. I'm yeah. surprised you didn't browbeat him into putting the Hellcat in everything like a Hellcat and a 500 <laughs> would be fantastic. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think we actually needed to browbeat because I'm, I'm pretty sure that that is the plan, um, to eventually offer the Hellcat in everything that they can stuff it into. Uh, certainly everything from Dodge, um, you know, it, it's, I'm pretty sure it's only a matter of time before we see a Durango Hellcat. It's, you know, it's already in the Grand Cherokee. But I think, yeah. I think one of the, but the, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to him before we get too far down this path is because <laughs> of the amount of misconceptions that surround these brands. And this is part of, of the recording that we will put into this podcast. Yeah, but, we'll, we'll tack it on at the end. Yeah, for yes. sure. Yeah. 
Um, so just briefly, what, what were those misconceptions that you, you covered? Well, just the, just the idea that this, that FCA as a company doesn't pay attention to, uh, to fuel economy or isn't concerned about fuel economy. And, and they actually are, and they, they have, you know, they, they're very, uh, much in tune to what needs to happen with fuel economy and such. And so, you know, it's just the idea that this isn't, it isn't just about Hemi engines and, you know, and, and they're, they're a much, they're a more sophisticated company than, than just that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're buying all those credits from Tesla. (laughs) 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 I'm just throwing rocks now. It's not, not on purpose. Well, no, I mean, they have, you know, they have done some interesting stuff. Obviously, you know, the Fiat 500E is clearly, you know, a compliance car, you know, in order to meet their requirements for uh, the ZEV mandate in California. But, um, you know, they've also been doing other stuff, you know, like the uh, Pacifica Hybrid, which we've talked about in the past, which is, you know, an excellent vehicle. I was going to say, it's actually really, um, really good. Yeah, it's an amazing yeah. vehicle. And then uh, there's also um, their Torque you know, flight, the e-torque system. Right, the Torque Flight, the 8 and 9-speed transmissions. I mean, they've got a lot more sophisticated technologies than people give them credit for. Right. And I would not be at the least bit surprised if, you know, one of the things we see next year at uh, What's New is perhaps a Hellcat with the e-torque system on there, um, you know, to boost the, the torque by another 130 foot pounds and, you know, also, you know, give it a, a couple more miles per gallon. That'd be cool, actually. Um, and, and that that dovetails nicely with the Ferrari we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, but the they did not Chrysler also just acquire uh some some ev talent i forget where they hired from um somebody left from somewhere and went to chrysler to sort of boost their ev program because oh uh mickey bly right okay yeah yeah the, the, well they, they hired mickey bly to uh to replace bob lee who was formerly their vice president of powertrain uh mickey i, I met mickey about a dozen years ago uh when he was a gm and he was running um, the EV, um, right, the Volt, right, or, or, uh, EV develop or the the electric uh, powertrain development for the Volt, um, and then he uh, eventually went over to work at GM Europe uh, for a while. Uh, then he spent some time at a company called AVL, which is an engineering firm, um, and then uh, uh, he was at uh, American Axle or AAM for the last couple of years before joining uh, Fiat Chrysler uh, about a month and a half ago. Right, so. We we're talking about crisis sort of being behind the curve or seemingly behind the curve on, on EVs and or, or electrification and hybrid uh, when they, they're, they're kind of not, but also you know, they're, they're taking it seriously well, too. They're adding I think, talent. Yeah. I, I think, you know, where to say, I think, you know, where we could you know validly say that they're behind the curve is in terms of actually bringing production models to market. You know, they haven't brought a whole lot of, of plug-in, you know, they've, they've brought only two plug-in vehicles to market. And, you know, so clearly compared to some brands, you know, they have not been as aggressive there. That doesn't mean they're not working on this stuff, but, you know, they're looking at the market. And, you know, this is something we talked to to Jeff Lux about. And, you know, the the market just, you know, there, there isn't the consumer pull for electric vehicles yet, you know, except for, you know, one particular brand, which happens to be Tesla. And, you know, there it's as much, you know, it appears to be as much about, um, you know, 
supporting Elon as it is about the fact that people necessarily want EVs or certainly not EVs at at those price points. You know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a bunch of early adopters, you know, that have bought Teslas. And, you know, there are people in the mainstream segment that would like an EV, but they're frankly just not affordable and convenient enough yet. They will get there, but they're not there yet. And that's, you know, that's why, you know, EVs still remain only 1% of the market. Right. And, yeah. and so just for reference, um, Mickey Bly was quoted in an article that just came out today, actually, talking about the creation of electrified versions of the Charger and Challenger. So he's confirmed that both cars will have an electrified installation at some point, which is very interesting. But I think that's one of the biggest things. And and then also the next versions of the Dodge Charger and Challenger Hellcat will be hybrid. Uh, but there isn't if if there was the consumer pull on the market, if somebody is constantly tugging at your sleeve, you will give them what they want. <laughs> but nobody is yeah. tugging at the sleeve. This is all pushing on the market through regulations and it's why we continue to see alternative fuel vehicles of less than 5% of new cars. Uh, and that, and that includes hybrids and electrics. Yeah. Well, and there's so much uncertainty right now, um, given, you know, what may be potentially rolled back and, and what may be mandated and what, what, what consumers are even going to ask for. And uh, just in terms of the economy too, I heard today that the, they're talking about how the um, the yield curve has been inverted for a quarter. And that's a really solid indicator over the last 60 years of an impending recession. So that'll be fun um, <laughs> to see how that works out. Uh, so with that kind of uncertainty, when you're an automaker, you're going to be careful about where you invest your money. And FCA at the moment is, you know, they're, they're bringing in some revenue from their domestic brands. Um, and I think the one last thing uh, that we, we didn't quite get to yet was the, um, the Voyager. So uh, for speaking of more revenue, right? It's the, the value price model of the Pacifica. It's a little less cushy equipped, but um, is this basically intended to phase out the, finally the ancient grand caravan that continues to hang around? Um, it doesn't look like it yet, um, because, you know, I think the, the Grand Caravan, you know, as long as they can, as long as it's still outselling the Pacifica, they'll probably keep building them. Well, I think, um, but it outsells the Pacifica because fleets buy it and it's cheaper. Right. Right. Well, the, the Voyager is replacing the, um, the low end, the L and LX trims of the Pacifica. And they haven't actually said, I don't know if you or I don't know if you heard anything about pricing, Rebecca, but, um, you know, I haven't seen anything about specific pricing no. on the Voyager. So, you know, I'm not sure actually how much cheaper than a Pacifica it's going to be. Um, they, you know, there is going to be one trim level that is actually for fleet only, um, you know, the LXI trim level. And, you know, that's going to have, um, you know, leatherette seats and things like that, you know, for extra durability, <laughs> you know, that, that'll be, that'll be the rental fleet special. But uh, aside from that, you know, uh, you know, presumably it will be somewhat less expensive and decontented from the current base level Voyager uh, Pacificas, but we don't know by how much yet. Yeah. I mean, there's some indications that it would be around 28, 29,000. I think the Pacific. Well, that's a, that's the same price as a current Pacifica LX or L. Yeah, this is saying it directly replaces the Pacifica L and LX trims. It should start around twenty eight thousand. The Pacifica, meanwhile, starts at thirty five for two thousand nine for the 
Turing Plus. So it's I would imagine then they're going to what you're thinking is that it's going to be below 28, which is dirt cheap. Well, yeah. it's dirt I mean, cheap it's, until you compare it to the old Grand Caravan, which is dirt cheaper. <laughs> Not by much. No, I, I mean, it's a couple thousand at least, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, but 28,000. I mean, that's that's a pretty inexpensive car these days, especially a minivan. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can, if you if you compare it to the price of a Honda Odyssey or a, a Toyota Sienna, yeah, that is a pretty reasonable price. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, everything's gotten so expensive, <laughs> uh, and, and minivans are uh, certainly price creep has sort of gotten up there. I'm I'm curious as to why they're they're replacing Pacifica trims with another name. It almost sounds like they want to keep the Pacifica as sort of that, almost like the the way they kept the town and country around. Yes. And um, they they brought the Pacifica in at a higher price level. But if you still really, if you wanted the van and you didn't want to pay that much, you can still buy the old, you know, town and country. So I called it the Grand Caravan. I'm sorry, the town and country. Um, but the, uh, the Voyager name, I think, will serve to to have that value proposition like okay this is the the cheap van and and the pacifica still has those connotations of being nice nice i think i think that this is you know we saw it we used to see at kelly blue book when the names of brand of models changed the people didn't do a lot of research to find them like when infinity changed from the q from the g then people just if they couldn't find the the infinity g they just thought it just went away and they went to used g's and so I think that, you know, rather than to the queue that it replaced it. So I think that this is an example of where people are looking at the pricing of the of the Pacifica. And I do think that that as a company, FCA wants to keep that more premium, wants to keep it in that in that higher mode. And these other nameplates, something like the Voyager, it's it's uh, it's more accessible to consumers. And they look and say, that's a brand that I remember as being more affordable. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we're, we're saying the same thing. I think it's just that the value they're, they're trying to hit the lower price and not ding the, the Pacifica name. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just curious, curiouser and curiouser, but uh, let's go to expensive stuff and talk about the Ferrari F90 Stradale, which is uh SF90 Stradale. I'm sorry. Um, that's a hybrid. Like you were talking about the Hellcat with the e-torque. This is it's a V8 with. This is motor. this is a strong hybrid. Yeah, you know, just a mild hybrid. It's a strong hybrid, and Ferrari cannot help themselves. Complete obfuscation with the horsepower numbers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they say it's got a thousand, almost a thousand horsepower, nine hundred eighty-six horsepower, but the way they added up all the outputs is odd. Yeah, well, I mean, it's they've released a video that's got uh, that shows the several different hybrid modes that you can or several different modes you can operate in. You know, so they're, you know, for the full the full 986 horsepower, you have to put it in qualify mode, which lets loose everything that the 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 twin turbo V8 has with 769 horsepower plus the three electric motors, two in the front, one in the rear for another 217 horsepower. There's also a, a regular hybrid mode, uh, which is for more normal driving. Um, there's a performance mode in there somewhere. And there's also a mode that's labeled as ED 
for <laughs> electric driving. Um, which I thought ED you know, was more for, of a Corvette thing, but okay. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, so you know, a it's lot a slow of, burn. It's a slow burn. Yeah. the 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 funny thing about ED is that it's it's <laughs> at least at least in this Ferrari is that uh, it it's only sending power to the front motors. So when you're driving in pure electric mode in this Ferrari, you will be you will have a front wheel drive Ferrari. Well, I mean that's not unprecedented. The FF had front wheel drive too, kind of. It was uh, it was four wheel drive. Uh, it could transfer most of its torque all to the front wheels, if I recall. Yeah, but it was never front wheel drive only. It was you know yeah. it was always sending power to all four. Yeah, that's, I guess it's true. Yeah. So um, you know, in in the electric mode, uh, you can get fifteen miles as as a front wheel drive coupe. Um, you know, just like um, you know, like a Hyundai Veloster. Well, you know, that's probably all it's going to be driven in any given Saturday. It's going to sort of toddle along to cars and coffee and then toddle along back to yeah. its uh, climate-controlled garage for its next engine out service. So uh, it seems fine. Or, you know, for when you, uh, you know, when you want to drive into central London, you know, go down to Harrods, you know, to do some shopping, um, you know, you can, uh, you can drive it. You know, you can avoid the congestion charge and just put it in electric mode and uh, toddle on down to Harrods. Yeah. I mean, cynicism aside, it, it they continue to this is really racing technology right it's it's like uh oh yeah i mean this is this is the sort of stuff that we have seen for the last uh you know 6 years in the LMP1 class uh in le mans you know with the uh the now defunct uh audis and porsches and the toyotas that have won uh, the 24 hours le mans the last 2 years you know they have hybrid systems like this that you know provide uh, all-wheel drive capability with electric drive to the front axles, um, energy recuperation. Um, the the one thing that's different about this one, uh, about the Ferrari, is that it's it has a considerably larger battery at 7.9 kilowatt hours, and it's actually a plug-in hybrid. So you can actually plug this thing in, uh, making it the first Ferrari to do this. They... Um, the LaFerrari was also a hybrid, but it had a much smaller battery and it did not have plug-in capability. Um, the Porsche 918 uh, was more like this, you know, with with uh, plug-in was a plug-in hybrid with a similar kind of range to it. So is this what we have to look for? It, it is pretty. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously. Um, is this what we have to look forward to for supercars now? Is there all like is the NSX, those the, the Porsche 918, there's this now. Like they're all they're all hybrids. I, I guess there's the McLaren, right? That the they're coming, they're doing a McLaren that is all analog. No, they're not doing an analog McLaren. Uh Gordon Murray's oh, got that's, uh, that's, a new car yeah. that is all analog, including a manual transmission. And that one will not be a hybrid, right. uh, but this this one, uh, yeah. I mean, from you know, from the these big brands, you know, from Porsche, Ferrari, um, Aston I Martin. guess uh, Lamborghini, yeah, Aston Martin, Aston Martin uh, is doing do a hybrid yep. in the Valkyrie, and the Valhalla um, as well will be a hybrid. It, yeah, they really want to so, name yeah, their cars this, after. Think, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's, Whatever. Hey, I mean, how how many words can you come up with with this? Start with V. Exactly. You know, they want everything. Everything from Aston's going to start with a V, Good. except the DBX. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> every every true Aston Martin is going to start with a V. Let's put it hey, that way. Hey, the DBX will be a true Aston Martin. 
Uh, we'll see. <laughs> but the Valhalla also it, um, asked them the other thing that they they announced this week was that they would always offer manuals. Uh, at least on the Vantage. So, I don't think cars like the Valkyrie will. Well, they but they're, the point is that they will there will always be they will, they will offer something with yes, a manual. They will always offer something with yeah. a manual. I was happy about that. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to the Aston for, Martin you know, for the three or, for, for the three or four Aston Martin buyers that will actually want a manual transmission. But you know they'll pay for it. The ones that want it will buy it. Exactly. Yeah. It. Um, and the rest of so. us will just look at pictures online. Because <laughs> that's what we do. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, this is very. It's very interesting. Although it seems like uh, you know, isn't it a little bit weird that to get the max performance out of you got to go into qualify mode like that's that's like a track only thing i would assume it's probably not all that manageable in the street in that mode yeah well it it doesn't actually say how much of the performance you're going to have uh in performance mode uh which is you know it will probably be somewhat less than that but then again you know on the street you know do you really need a thousand horsepower Ask the Mopar guys. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to be intent on putting them in challengers and chargers. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's just, it's very interesting where we've gone from, you know, supercars back in the day were, you know, the, the, the Kuntak and the Testarossa. And now they're, they're these, these cars are much, much more sophisticated. Um, back, back when back when 300 horsepower was something special. Yeah, well, I mean, 300 horsepower from like 2.5 liters or something ridiculous too. So they were they were still pretty. Uh, no, I mean, a, a Kuntosh was uh, about six and a half liters. Yeah, that's, you know, was a, that was a big V12. Right. I thought they had more. I thought they had like 400 something with the Crotovalvoli and. Oh uh, well, later ones did. Yeah, yeah. Er, earlier Kuntoshes were you know weren't even 300. Yeah, I mean, this car still looks like the future. Yeah. I would still have a poster on the wall if I were allowed to have a poster somewhere. All right. So I guess we've, we've covered our podcast ground and uh, we should wrap it up at this point. Uh, did you guys have any emails or comments or anything you wanted to address or are we good for this week? Uh, I think we're good for this week. What about you, Rebecca? I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, you know where to leave that stuff if you want to communicate with um, you can find us on Twitter um, or email us directly at wheelbearingscast at gmail.com uh, and in the meantime uh, we'll see everybody next time bye bye the reality is that FCA is not the only automaker you know that's that's got that same kind of message I mean there are others who are saying you know there, there is a place for, for EVs and for electrification yeah. But um, you know, when you, when you look at the total life cycle, uh, you know, from cradle to grave, uh, you know, the manufacturing, uh, the, the raw materials, and you know, especially when you factor in what the sources of the energy are, yeah. you know, depending on the application yeah, right. and where and you are where geographically, you are world, geogra- it, yeah, it exactly makes a right. big difference what your yeah. total life cycle yeah. energy use and emissions are going to yeah. be. Right. So. Uh, yeah, so no, I, I, I completely agree with what you said, Sam. And the other thing I would say, too, is it really it starts and ends with the customer. There's got to be a market. And I think the market for EVs, full, full battery electrics, is yet to develop in a big way. Okay, I know there's been hundreds of thousands of Teslas sold. I, I get it. But uh, um, 
they're still very expensive. They're at a price point that makes it diff- they're at a price point that makes it difficult for two things. It's difficult for the manufacturers to make money on the EVs, and it's difficult for consumers to afford them. That tells me it's a ways off till we really get to to truly widespread adoption. So in that time, I think you'll see a lot of, and you see it now, you see it in our portfolio, you see it in others, of, of competing and complementary technologies, right? We have we have a strong hybrid in our Pacifica hybrid minivan. We, so we've got our Pacifica minivan, which has our e-flight hybrid, and you know it's unique, and it's the first minivan in the industry that was hybridized. It's It's been recognized by uh, Ward's 10 Best two years in a row, so some great accolades there. We do have one battery electric out in our, our 500, E, um, and then we've got our e-torque launched to great acclaim, also awards 10 best last year for the truck. So, so I think my my personal belief is that you'll we will see more of that develop in the marketplace, and some of it too will then have to get, I would expect, reinforced by consumer demand, so that we we go there more than once. Yeah, uh, you know, certainly, um, you know, I think when you when you look at the economics of EVs. Uh, as you said, you know, there's been hundreds of thousands of Teslas sold, you know, hundreds of thousands of other EVs around the world from various manufacturers. But, you know, out of the total market, that's still, we're still, you know, barely, not even 1% right. of the global market right. is, is battery EVs. And, you know, when you look at the, the mainstream segments, you know, what we call affordable, mm-hmm. you know, even, you know, in the so-called most affordable EVs, for most consumers, the economics just don't make sense. That it doesn't work yet. I mean, it's trending in the right direction, mm-hmm. but today in 2019, middle of 2019, uh, you know, if you look, you know, at one of the prime examples, the Kia Niro. Mm-hmm. You know, the base Kia Niro is $23,000, the 50 mile per gallon hybrid. Mm-hmm. You know, and the Kia Niro EV, 240 mile range, $39,000. Even after incentives, you're still looking at 32 grand. Yeah. The payback period at current U.S. gas prices is about 34 years <laughs> for an average consumer. Right. So that you know the, the numbers for the average consumer don't work yet. Yes. Where where do you see the the market for electrification? You know, um, I think. I mean, I don't, what well, first of all, what what percent? You know, if you can, you know, what what's been the the take rate and the acceptance of the plug-in hybrid on the Pacifica? Plug-in hybrid on the Pacifica, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but it's around 10% of the total minivan sales. So, um, I mean, it's uh, you know, it would be nice to see that higher, but that's that's what the market is feeding back to us. So, so we'll see how that trends and moves over time. Again, I think that's a great product. I personally drove a hybrid minivan for about eight or nine months at the launch, and the great thing was, I mean, I, I live like barely 10 miles from Auburn Hill, so. Um, at least in most of the year when the weather's tempered out, I could get to and from work without ever having to really fire the engine, you know, other than acceleration, something like that. Um, but by the same token, I could use it like a completely normal vehicle, go drive up north to go skiing, whatever. So that, that part is very attractive. Now, I think what you just said on the payback period, if I was really going to go buy the vehicle, there's still you'd still have to go through and do that about, hey, does this make sense? I think there's there's got to be... Um, something else that's motivating the consumer too about why they would would buy that, and I think that's largely true. If you uh, look at kind of the demographics of the people who buy it, they're they're interested in trying to do the right thing for sustainable mobility, other things, right? Uh, certainly, you know, for for FCA, uh, you know, you, you've done a lot of interesting things, you know, on the electrification side, the plug-in hybrid, the the, the 500e e-torque, you know, the mild hybrids. You were the first to introduce mild hybrids into the U.S. market. Um, at least 48 volt mild yeah, hybrids. Right. Yeah. 
on the flip side, you know, you look at cars like what's right behind us here, you know, these, these Hellcats, and, you know, that's kind of the complete opposite, you know. <laughs> and what would you say to, you know, to people that um, would criticize FCA, you know, for your approach, you know, with offering vehicles like this at the same time, you know, as you're kind of downplaying the electrification? Well, I, I hope we're not seen as downplaying electrification. I mean, to your point, we've got the offerings in market, and, and we're trying to promote them for things like eTorque, like the Pacifica Hybrid. Um, as far as these vehicles, personally, I think they're great vehicles. Um, and to me, they first represent something that meets with a very strong consumer demand. There are people that you know absolutely crave and celebrate these cars in a in a way that few others do. So there's there's that. And I think you know we've talked a, a bit about the affordability around EVs. There's the consumer end to it. There's also the manufacturer end. And to be honest, some of being able to you know we're we're a total company, right? Being able to uh, draw a a very be in a very strong pricing position on those products helps us with how we can can then offer other products. What do you see on a global basis mm -hmm. in terms of demand for EVs and hybrids and such? So, so great question. I think first it's hard to really look at it globally. We have to look market by market. You have to okay. look at North America. You have to look at Europe. Regionally. You have to look at, at China. And, and part of the reason I say that is because uh, the whole effect of government incentives are so strong and so powerful. And I would say even though China has done a tremendous amount to promote the new energy vehicles and other things, they're, they're off to a very good start. My personal belief is given how, um, how tough the, the, you know, the 95 grams per kilometer next year in, in Europe, and then you know, it hasn't been finalized yet, but talk about you know, maybe another 15% below that in a few years. So I think between having those kind of requirements for CO2 emissions as well as having say, an, an energy infrastructure that largely supports it in terms of, you know, the fuel prices are higher through taxation and others that you've got, um, a, as well as anywhere in the world, a reinforcing system to try to drive people to electrification. So Jeff's personal expectation, I think you'll see a lot of, a lot of electrification demand and really flourish, that will flourish in Europe. Okay. What do you think the biggest misconception is about when, when we think about Fiat Chrysler, when we think about, you know, FCA and how people describe FCA in the media or that you see people describing it. Oh, well, so the, 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 uh, the phrase we love to hate is this thing about we're a laggard, right? That's, that's the one that uh, I, I just don't think... Referring it, to... Referring to, referring to, say, technical competence or something like that or ability to, to field uh, electrified products. You know, I've already ticked off what we've done already for electrified products, so I think we've demonstrated that we can not only bring a compelling electrified vehicle to market, but we can do it well, right? We wouldn't get the Wards 10 Vest if these were vehicles that were that were somehow substandard or subpar, right? The fact that we're winning would suggest we're doing it rather well. That's, that's for others to judge, including the market. But I th So to me, I think we've demonstrated the, the basic capability in the house to, to do this, and now it's a question of getting the, getting the market to embrace it and, and seeing where it heads. So that, that what, what, do you, you know, what would you say it would take? You know, I mean, would, would FCA support? Things like higher fuel prices, in order to, uh, you know, if, if it, assuming a government were 
interested in going down that direction, uh, which probably aren't in the in the near future. Um, you know, would you would you support that? Or for example, things like you know in the um, in the uh, comments on the uh, the cafe uh, proposals from the current administration, uh, GM. One of the things they mentioned in there was providing extra credits for vehicles, uh, especially electrified vehicles that are deployed in mobility services. Uh, you know, on the premise that those vehicles might be replacing multiple individually owned vehicles and thus have more impact. You know, are, do ideas like that are, are those yeah. things that perhaps you know uh, you think would be a good idea? Um, so, me personally, I, I think the right answer is really let the let the market and let consumers decide. I think we can we can put a lot of uh, uh, unusual dynamics in the markets if we if we have too much other intervention with it. Um, I think the fact that there is uh, there's a credit today towards the towards the purchase of the hybrid vehicles, I think that's probably a good thing as we try to try to have a bridge. Um, but uh, but I think that to me the uh, the interventions with the market need to be be very carefully thought out and hopefully uh, applied and as uh, as sparingly as possible. I don't. Again, I the, the concern to me is if you if we really have an invasive policy that drives the manufacturers or the consumers to do one thing or another, and then all of a sudden that goes away, it's a real shock to the system, right? How do you deal with it? So I I wouldn't want to see anything come in that's going to make us overly dependent on something purely because it's a government program or an incentive scheme. I I don't think it'll be helpful. My two cents. I don't. I don't know if we've got an official position, but that's Jeff's opinion. <laughs> so, go ahead. Exactly. So, okay, going back to ICEs, mm-hmm. um, what are you know what are some of the other things that you know uh, FCA has already done a lot of things over the last ten years. You know, you were first to introduce start-stop systems on trucks mm-hmm. uh, on the RAM. Uh, you, know, you did the 48 volt mild hybrids. What what other technologies do you foresee coming to market? Um, you know that would help boost the efficiency of those kinds of powertrains. Um, well, I I think there's a, there's a number of other technologies out there, right? If you look at uh, um, and and some of it some of it can be done even with very careful integration and work of, of the technologies that are already there in terms of really watching how much fuel we we use over the, the course of a typical driving cycle, things like that. Um, I think too there's there's uh, opportunities for uh, lower viscosity fluids for better energy recovery. So one of the things that we've put into our our light duty truck is uh, we have a, uh, a heater for the rear axle. Right, that's something that most others have not done. But as as we look at the energy consumption, right during a startup and a warm up, it's like, hey, this is one of the areas that we could benefit from if you had the uh, the, the rear differential oil warmer sooner, we could do better. So I, I think you'll see that type of thing occur more and more to try to really get the the energy budget, energy recovery optimized to the, the best we can. And there and there's a, there'll be a lot of things that that are that are specific technologies that that aim to do that that a lot of inc- little incremental things yes. you know, to tackle the you know attention to detail in the overall right. design exactly right attention to detail and careful optimization right I mean you're re- you're really trying to pull out every tenth of a right. gram or tenth right. of a mile right. per mile right. it's so it's such an interesting company because there's such diversity of your brand mm-hmm. so you go from the Fiat you know the E the 500e and then you know all the way through to some of the Maserati product products the Alphas where do you see the most opportunity or what brand do you see the most opportunity to kind of penetrate that that really the requirement the mandate that we have for electric vehicles 
particularly in the Zeb mandate in California. So, so I would say this. I don't think it's it's any one brand or any two brands for us. I, I think the, the key for us, and, and we've talked about this some, but you'll, you'll hear more as well. So a vehicle that we've spoken about a little, again, you'll see more, but when we when we put a hybrid system in our Jeep Wrangler, as an example, and Jeep, Jeep might be a brand that wouldn't be the first to come to your mind when you ask that question, right. but I would say what, what's going to be key for us is that when we bring electrification to the product, that it enhances and betters what that product delivers to the customer. That, mm-hmm. that to us, is the way to have electrification really develop a, a following and, and garner a market, is that it's it's not something that it's an, aster- an asterisk to what the brand normally delivers. It doubles down on what the brand delivers. Right. Yeah, so so that, that's that's what we're trying to do. So that's why I say it's not a one- or a two-brand answer. It's a all the brands, but they've got to figure out, right? So, so you know, go out a bit on a limb here, but if we were going to electrify a Dodge product, or maybe even an Alpha, right, that's got to, that's got to speak more to performance, so. Right, so it's good. still keep a stewardship of right. the brand. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. But through electrification. Interesting. Uh, when, when the Pacifica Hybrid was introduced a couple of years ago, I, I talked to uh, one of your uh, colleagues, and, you know, one of the things that was mentioned was that the, the hybrid drive unit uh, for the Pacifica was designed to fit within the same package envelope as the existing 9-speed right. that you yep. use on your, yep. your transverse engine product. Um, do you see, you know, I guess, is there, is there any market, is, is there enough of a market to justify spreading that, you know, in either plug-in or, or standard hybrid variants into some other model lines in order to um, gain some extra scale? You know, I mean, is there, is, are, do, are the, do the economics work out for you to do that? Okay, so you, you won't see many of these here because we sell it in China, but we just uh, just are, are really in the middle of launching right now the Grand Commander in China uh-huh. with the uh, plug-in hybrid. It uses that same drive unit that's in, okay. the, in the Pacifica hybrid. So, so yes, we're, we're working on what else? There's other things I can't really talk about too much. but uh, So, yeah, you, we're, we're doing that now. Okay. I think, I think that's great. I mean, I think that it's, it's exciting mm-hmm. to talk about these kinds of brands mm-hmm. said they each have such a specific identity mm-hmm. to it and right. the idea of enhancing that I think it's a great way to introduce this technology right. or, or encourage adoption right. of this technology right. even as you're a good steward yes. so right. you know what that Dodge what the Scat Pack does yeah. or whatever what the Wrangler can do off road mm-hmm. that I think it's, it's one, one of the challenges that other brands have had mm-hmm is trying to slap it on top of right, right. what they do already yeah. mm-hmm. and not making products mm-hmm. that are true to their brand. Right. So, I, you know, for somebody that looks at consumer behavior a lot like I do, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the keys to success yeah. is staying true to the brand. Yeah. We, we think so, too. Obviously, we, in, we invest a lot in, in being, as you said, careful stewards of our brands and are trying to do the same thing as we approach electrification. Right. Awesome, Jeff. Thank you so much for your okay. time. All right. Thanks, Thank Jeff. You. Thanks, Sam. I really appreciate it. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.